Hey, we're in part four of our series, The Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter four today. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over to the end of chapter four. Uh, in a moment, the uh, scripture will be up on the screens. But, but let me remind you of the context of this gospel. Mark is writing to a group of believers who are in a really difficult and threatening time. He's writing to the church in Rome, and they're being pressured day in and day out because of their faith. And what Mark has revealed so far up to this point in his gospel is that Jesus has stepped onto the stage of human history and he's proclaiming some good news, that the kingdom of God has come. And he's speaking to an oppressed people for whom God had become a distant thing, a distant religion, a, a something far off, not something close and relational. And so as Jesus steps into human history... He keeps showing them through his words and his works and his ways that, that this is what happens when the kingdom of God is on the move. When, when the kingdom of God rules in people's lives, when God rules in their communities. And at this point, Jesus is spreading the message even further. He, he's about to go into a new territory. He's about to go into a new frontier. And so he's going to take his disciples across a lake into a region that is both unfamiliar and also quite uncomfortable for the disciples. It's not Jewish land and there aren't Jewish people there. But alongside that, we're going to see that he's going into a new territory spiritually. As Jesus leads his disciples, his followers, into this new territory, they go on a journey in and, and which they discover is going to be very challenging. It's going to be challenging spiritually and emotionally and physically. And, and what we're going to see is that as, as Jesus extends the kingdom, when the rule of, of God is expanded in, in, the, in the human heart and in families and in communities, what we're going to see is often that there's a frontier that sometimes involves a bit of a struggle. Th throughout Scripture, we see that. We see that, that these frontiers seem to be guarded and, and closely guarded. Uh, and it's, it's difficult for you to break through that sometimes there's confusion, uh, even enemy resistance. And we're going to see that illustrated today through what happens on a lake. Throughout Scripture, you see this. You see where, where God speaks a promise over an individual or, or over a community, a group of people. And then, however many years, for the, for the next years, they get the opposite of whatever has been promised. Think about this. Think about Joseph. Remember, Joseph was promised that he was going to be a, a great ruler. He's going to do great things. And, and what happens? He's immediately a slave, right? He's thrown into a pit, and he's sold off into slavery, and he's put in prison. And for years, there's this struggle uh, uh, for Joseph to, to actually get what was promised to him by God. David is promised that he's going to be king, but first he has to become a fugitive. The, the nation of Israel, they're promised this land that they're going to take and, and live in and dwell in and be blessed in. And it takes years for them to reach. So if you've ever felt like God was calling you to something new, maybe God is calling you to do something that, that's maybe a little out of your comfort zone. And, and you say, you know what, God, I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to step out. I'm going to go into this, this new journey that you're calling me into. If you've ever done that and you felt like all you were met with was resistance and opposition, you're in good company. Because throughout Scripture we see this. And in the same way, we are on a journey with Jesus. He leads us to new places, maybe new frontiers. It might be something personal. Maybe it's an area of growth in our hearts and in our life with Him. Maybe it's an area of transformation. It might be concerning our jobs or our responsibilities. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our presence in our community, our lives to live on mission for Jesus. Maybe it's us as a church. Maybe we're supposed to be moving in a new direction and we think about that and it scares us. And we're met with resistance. But sometimes 
God calls us to do the uncomfortable, right? God calls us to, to, to not just sit in our comfort zones and, and bask in, in what we've accomplished already, but He calls us to step out and to do something maybe a little bit uncomfortable. For the sake of the kingdom of God, right? Not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so He leads us into new territory where the kingdom of God is within reach. But sometimes as you go, you go on this journey, you have to go through some powerful storms. Lake Galilee, which is where our, our scripture is going to take place, that's going to be the setting for our scripture, it was known for its storms. The, the storms, they were often sudden, they were fierce and incredibly chaotic. The theologian N.T. Wright, he notes that except for the fishermen, Jewish people were not seafaring people. They were, they were people of, of the land. Their, their culture and spiritual heritage understood waters to symbolize the dark powers of evil. They were threatening to God's creation. That, that they, they understood the waters to symbolize just darkness and, and evil. It, it was against all of God's purposes and plans. In the book of Daniel, we see uh, the sea is meant to have monsters and, and enemies in it. And so they go across this lake. And it's already a little, little challenging because, for the most part, they're people of the land, right? And they have no idea about, about what is to happen. Go to, your, go to your Bibles, Mark chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 35. It says this. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. That's important. Note what Jesus says here. Let's go over to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? There's a couple of things that I, I want us to all pick up from, from this account uh, of this storm that takes place here. First is the calm before the storm. Jesus has spoken a word to the disciples. He said, let's go over to the other side. We're going to go to the other side of the lake, and I'm going to take you to a new territory, a new place. There's, there's something new over there, so let's get in a boat, and let's go to the other side. And then there's a storm. The storm is unleashed, and it's rough. The language here in this, in this account of Scripture, it's similar to what you find in, in the book of Jonah, where, where there's a storm that takes place, where the storm begins to, to thrash against the boat. It's chaotic, it's, it's dark, it's confusing, it's out of control. Now, we know that some of the disciples, some of them are fishermen, but some of them are not. And except for those who are, who are fishermen, they are not seasoned with the waters. But, but even for those who, who are experienced fishermen, this, is, this storm is even too much for them. They, they know that they're at the end of their rope. They're at the end of themselves. They're past all of their resources, past all of their strength, past all of their abilities. This is not an ordinary storm. Again, remember, the Jewish understanding of storms and water were a simple of, of something deeper happening. There's a lot at stake here in this storm. The, the mission that Jesus is on is at stake, right? His, his, his calling is on, on the line. The people who's going to share the good news after Jesus is gone, that's at stake here. The, these lives that are being transformed, that's at stake. This new territory that Jesus wants to take his disciples to, it's guarded and it's fiercely guarded. 
And let me just pause there for a moment and, as we, and interrupt the story and just ask this question to us, something for us to think about. What, what has God called you to? What is God calling you to? I, I wonder what word, the calm word before the storm, would be for you. How, how has Jesus led you in, in recent months and weeks and years? Maybe, maybe there were frontiers in, in your heart. Maybe he's doing a deeper work in your character. He's transforming you. Maybe he's bringing you greater freedom. Maybe, maybe there's something for you in the context of your family that, that he's doing. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's an opportunity to witness. Maybe it's a provision, relationships. Maybe it's the church. It could be any number of things. But think about what God is calling you to. Can I be real transparent with you for a moment? I start to say honest, but I always want to be honest with you. But So maybe transparent is a better word. And This isn't in my sermon notes, and so this is often where I get in trouble for saying things because I don't have them written down in front of me. But let me be transparent with you about a storm that I kind of feel like is taking place in my life and really in the life of our church. See, about a year ago, our leadership started having conversations about what we wanted our mission and our vision to be. We wanted everybody to come in line with that so that we would be on mission, we would be crystal clear about what our mission is. And so what's our mission? What's our mission? All right, so almost a year later, we still don't say that with a lot of confidence, all right? But our mission, right, to lead people to love and follow Jesus. And we, we spent months as elder group talking about this. And then we started talking about how do, what's that look like for our, for our people? And what's that look like in our worship services? And, and we knew that we were going to have to do something different. We knew that we couldn't just have, continue to have two services where we basically had two churches where one group came at, at 8.30 in the morning and one group came at 10.30 or whatever times. It seems so long ago, I don't even remember what time those things were. But, but what we found is that that's what we had. We had two different churches. And, and we talked about, you know, that's got to change. I'm, this is getting on my nerves. Sorry. It's just going to stay there. And so we talked about that had to change. We, we had to get our people together because we, if we were going to be on mission, if we were going to be successful in leading people to love and follow Jesus, everybody had to be together. And we had to be on, on mission. And so we started one service, right? And we said, what's, what's the music going to look like? And that was, a big, that was a big discussion. And we talked about it for months in our elder group. And we talked about it in, in board meetings. And, and I know a lot of you all talked about it. I know you, a lot of you talked about it because lots of people have told me that you all talked about it. And, and we said, you know what, we, we want to try to appeal to as many people as possible. So we're going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle and, and it'll, it'll work for both sides. And I'm going to tell you, there was some fear and trepidation in this. But, but we were convinced as a, as a leadership that this was what God was calling us to. And then Ford announces that they're going to bring in a plant that's really going to, it's going to change the landscape of our community forever. It is. I mean, look, I, whether you're for Ford or against Ford, or doesn't matter. It's coming. And so it's going to change the landscape of our community, and it's going to change the landscape of our church. I've told you this before, but think about this. They're, they're estimating 5,000 jobs. That's not 5,000 people. That's 5,000 families. And I know not everybody's going to move into Glendale, right? We don't have room for 5,000 new families to come. They're going to come from all over. But 5,000 families, you take the average family of four, now you're talking 20,000 people. 20,000 people going to, going to be within our sphere of influence. Sphere of influence. 
We don't have to connect with all 20,000 people. If we connect with just 1%, just 1%, that's 200 more people. That, that will totally change the landscape of our church, right? If we just had 200 people, more people show up here on a Sunday morning, that changes everything that we do. That changes, we got to be prepared for that, right? We got to be on mission for that. We got to know what that's, what's going to look like. And all of a sudden, there seems like there's this resistance to move forward. There, there's one group that says, we don't like the music. We, we, want, we want to go back 40 years ago to, well, to however it was that way. And then there's the other group that says, we don't like the music. We want to, we want to go into to 2035, you know, whatever that music's going to look like. And there's, there's this resistance on both sides. And I'm telling you, I just want to be very honest, very blunt, as, as clear as I can be. God paid way too much of a price for you to be worried about what preference a song is done in. I'm going to tell you right now, and I've shared a couple of things on Facebook this week, and maybe it's just me being passive-aggressive. Sometimes I am. I want to tell you right now that Amazing Grace was once a new song, and I guarantee the first time they sang it, somebody didn't like it. And I'm going to tell you that there are new songs that are sung now that are not good songs. And you know what? If we sing them one time and we say, you know what, that's not a good song, we probably shouldn't sing it again. That's okay. God paid way too much of a price for us to worry about what preference a song is done in. A good song is a good song no matter when it was written, right? And there's theology in songs. And we can't worry about the theology of who wrote the song because guess what? We don't know the theology of all the hymn writers, do we? I guarantee there, there's some, some hymn writers who, who are our favorite, hymn, favorite songs and they had bad theology. But we love the song, right? Because it's got good theology. And so we sing that song. I'm just telling you, we got to move past this. And if we can't move past it, then we're going to keep experiencing the same storm time and time and time again. And when we move past that, if we ever get past it, and, God, and, and I'm telling you, I'm praying we do, because I'm losing more hair than I, than I had a whole lot. That's why I've let it grow up for about a week or so, because I just want to be reminded that I still have it. But I'm telling you, we got to move past it. We got to move past it. We got, we, got to, we got to be on mission. Our mission is to lead people to love and follow Jesus. And we want this community that's going to grow by leaps and bounds to know Jesus, to love and follow Jesus. And we want to be at the forefront of leading those people. But I'm also telling you that that doesn't come without some storms. When we decided to go to one service, I was not naive enough to think that everybody was going to be thrilled about it. We knew that there was going to be some, some, some testing. And I'm not saying that you're wrong if you think that. But I am saying it's a preference. It's simply a preference. And I'm telling you that our mission is to lead people to love and follow Jesus. And we can do that in, what it, in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that doesn't matter in how we do that is what style of song we sing. It doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. All right, now let me get off my soapbox now. All right, let me go back to my sermon notes. Uh, because here's, here's what I know, is that when God calls us to do something different, when God calls us into a new territory, he, He's, he's going to stretch you. And I'll tell you, in the last few months, there have been some stretching going on. And sometimes I think, God, I'm tapping out. Quit stretching, right? You know, like, it, it hurts. It's painful. Let's, let's stop. But, 
But sometimes we've got to be stretched. If we're ever going to grow, if we're ever going to become flexible enough to, to, to grow, then we've got to be stretched. And sometimes that's not always fun. But when God calls us to something new, He prepares us for the storms. There are always going to be storms that come. We see all throughout the Old Testament there are storms that come. But God always prepared His people for it. And He always led them through it, right? That may be more importantly than, than preparing for the storm is that God led them through the storm. And we're going to see that here in just a few moments as we talk about it. But again, let me just ask this question and then we'll move on. What's God leading you to? What's God calling you to? What, what, what is God asking you to do that maybe is outside of your comfort zone? And, and know this. Know this, that when you respond to that call, to that leading, there is a storm waiting. All right, there is a storm waiting. There always is. But what we see next is not just the calm before the storm, but we see fear in the storm. Why do we see fear in the storm? Well, because it's a storm, right? Storms are scary. But also because Jesus is sleeping. People are throwing up over the side of the boat. They're fighting. They're crying. They're screaming. They're trying to figure out a way, way through this. And Jesus is sound asleep. Now, Jesus may be so confident and so confident because in God's power and in his presence that he can rest on a pillow in the middle of a storm waiting to get to the other side of the lake. But the disciples, they're not feeling that. They're not feeling that at all. They're on the, they, they know that the, they're on the edge of their lives. They know that their lives are at stake. And they feel that Jesus is being, he's being distant. And, and worse, he's being passive in the midst of the, the storm that they're going through. And I don't know about you. But I find those are the most vulnerable times in my walk with God. Not necessarily when God feels far away, but, but when I know that He's there and He just doesn't seem to be doing anything. There, there's nothing like that feeling of, of helpless. There's nothing like that feeling of, of powerless, of, of being vulnerable, of being exposed. And, it, and it's so counterculture to how we live our lives, isn't it? And it exposes something in the disciples here. Te they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? You know what those words are? Those are words of desperate and angry people. You know, that basically they're saying, Jesus, do something. You've you got to do something now because we, we've invested too much in you at this point. Is this how it's all going to end for us? Are we going to drown in the middle of this lake? Is this where it all ends? All the miracles, all the sermons, all the things that you've done, is this where it all ends at the bottom of a lake? And Jesus, we've risked everything for you. How can you not do something, right? They, they've lost their confidence in him. And they're wondering if he is willing, or even maybe worse, if he's able to do anything in that moment. Why doesn't Jesus seem to be moving? And that's an important question for us in our moments of challenge. Where are you finding that you've lost confidence in Jesus? Where, where have you lost confidence in Jesus? It was an important question for the disciples who were going across the lake that day. It was an important question for the first listeners uh, to the Gospel of Mark, those who he wrote to in Rome. It's an important question for you and for me now as we watch others go through storms of life and as we encounter our own personal storms. Where have we lost confidence in Jesus? It was already a challenge, but now it's beyond the end, isn't it? But, but there's one other piece, and, it, and that's this, is that Jesus is in the storm. He's in the storm. There's the calm before the storm and there's fear in the storm, but there's also Jesus in the storm. It's important for us to note that, that Jesus, how he responds in this moment. 
How does Jesus respond in this moment? And how does he lead these people to an incredible breakthrough? You know, he's led these people and he's, he's performed mind-blowing miracles in front of them. And now they're wondering, they've lost confidence in him, and they're wondering, is he going to do anything at all? So what does Jesus do? How does he respond? Well, there are two things that he does. First is he speaks to the storm. It says here, it says, He got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus deals with the real battle here. The, the language that's used in the Greek here is quite deliberate. It's the same language that we see in Mark chapter 1 that we talked about a couple weeks ago when Jesus is dealing with the demon. We, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Where he's dealing with the enemy. He knows that he's dealing with more than just weather here. This is, this is a spiritual battle at play. And the disciples, they weren't fully aware of, of his power yet. They weren't fully aware of that, that Jesus was the actual Son of God. I mean, they, they might have some head knowledge of that, but they don't have heart knowledge of that yet. They're, they're wondering, what's Jesus going to do? And so he responds to the storm. He calms the storm. Remember, remember, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Right? That's what he told the disciples. When he said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. He didn't say we're going to the middle of a lake. He said we're going to the other side of the lake. And so he calms the storm because, because he knows he knows that there's something bigger at play. There, there's a, a group of men who's going to change the world, and they've lost confidence in him, so he's got to deal with the spiritual element first. Before he can deal with them, he's got to deal with the spiritual element. And so he calms the storm. He rebukes the weather. He, he rebukes the enemy, really, because this isn't just weather. This is, this is an enemy attack. I wonder how often we, we give credence to, to that. How often we think about the evil power prowess I guess the oppression maybe that is prevalent in our lives but we don't want to give credence to it because we're Christians right we're good people there's we don't we don't want Satan to have a hold on us right and sometimes I just think that maybe maybe we need to let Jesus deal with the spiritual battle that's going on in our lives before he deals with the the physical battle right Sometimes, sometimes there's a spiritual element at play that we don't give credence to, that we don't give credit to. And we just, Jesus, we just want you to heal, heal our bodies. Or Jesus, we just want you to, to, to get rid of the, the trials. Jesus, we just want you to, to make my life easier, right? We, we want you to do whatever it is that that, but we don't want to deal with the spiritual part of that. We don't want to deal with the, the submission that we've got to give ourselves to. We don't want to deal with the obedience issue that we've got with Jesus. We don't want to deal with all those things. We just want to, Jesus, make my life better. But Jesus first, he responds to the evilness, to the storm, and he quiets the storm because Jesus has power over that. And I want to tell you that, look, I, know, I, would not, I would not dare be brave enough to stand up here and say that you have evil powers uh, influencing your life, all right? But maybe you do. Maybe you do. And if you do then you need to let Jesus deal with that because I guarantee you that Jesus will never deal with the secondary issues but until he has dealt with that issue, with that spiritual issue. And so he deals with that. And the second thing he does is he responds to the disciples. Sometimes we get it the other way around and we, we prefer it the other way around. We, we feel like we're in the middle of the storm and it's a terrible time and God is going, oh, you terrible, unbelieving Christians, why don't you believe in me, right? But that, that's not what happens here. What we see here is he deals with the enemy and then he responds to his followers. He deals with Satan and then he comes to his, to his disciples. And what's he say to his disciples? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Uh, on one level, it's, it's a real clear thing why they're afraid, right? They're in the middle of a storm. They're drowning. They're about to drown. They're being devoured by this storm. But Jesus asks questions. And as we see this throughout Scripture, when Jesus is asking a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because if you ask questions, eventually other questions will come up and, and the real issues will rise to the surface. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Because that's what needed dealing with. He, he asked because... He was more powerful than elements. He, he's God and he was sent from God. He's the Messiah and he needed these disciples to recognize that he is God, even though they didn't quite see that yet. And so he asked them because he said the word at the very beginning, let's go to the other side. Remember, he didn't say, he didn't say let's go to the middle. He said, let's go to the other side. Do you believe in me yet? That's what he's asking. You've lost confidence in me. Have, is your confidence restored? Because remember, I said we're going to the other side of the lake. So we're going to the other side. Do you believe me? What's God telling us? What's God asking us? And, and do we believe Him? Do we believe Him? Because I think a lot of times we, we think, yeah, it's great. Like everybody, again, you've heard me say this before, but everybody says, hey, we want the church to grow, right? Nobody ever says, hey, I think the church is good right where we're at. No more people. Like, no, nobody says that because it's not the right thing to do. But oftentimes that's how we act, isn't it? Because, because God might be saying, hey, Ford's coming. Ford's coming. And so here's, some, here, here's an opportunity for you to expand your influence, for you to, to, to increase the kingdom of God. Here's, here's what we've got to do. And we say, ah, I don't know. That's a little out of my comfort zone. I'm not so sure about that. There might be people that show up that don't look like me. There might be people that don't, don't make as much money as me. There might be people that don't act like me. There might be people that have different circles of influence than me. There might be people that have different preferences than me. If God is calling us to it, He will lead us through it. Right? And whatever God has called us to, we know that there's going to be storms, but we've got to believe that what He has said is true. That was the problem for the disciples here. They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe Him. And so Jesus says, Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I heard someone say one time that God's hold on you is stronger than your hold on Him. And He has no intention of letting you go. Can we believe Him yet? Can, can we believe Him that He is bigger and greater than whatever the storm is that we're going through? And I know I've talked some about a lot about church storms, but let's just talk personal. What, what storms are going on in your life? Because look, if, if I were to take a poll of, of everybody in this room and everybody watching online, nobody would say their life is just perfect and it's exactly how they want it, right? Everybody's got an issue. So what storm are you going through? Maybe it's, maybe it's financial, maybe it's health, maybe it's marriage, whatever. What storm are you going through? And can we just believe that God, that Jesus is greater and bigger than any of those storms? Because oftentimes we don't act like it. We run to all these self-help books and, and all of these uh, conferences and we think they're going to fix whatever it is that our storm is. And, and we just run and run and run and run and run. But what we really need to do is turn to Jesus, right? Can we just let Jesus be God? Can we just let Jesus have control of our lives? Can we just let Jesus be bigger than our storms? That's who he is. He's greater than he that's in the world. He's greater than, than, than the enemy. And he doesn't rebuke us. He rebukes the storm. 
He's bigger than our deepest fear. He's stronger than our greatest enemy because he is God. And I know it's a challenge. Because even in Jesus' questions, there's a, there's a challenge there. He, he says, don't you have any faith? Why are you so afraid? And so I guess the question for us is, how are you and I in this moment? How are we doing in this moment? How are we doing in our storms? Do we still have no faith? I once heard a, a pastor say, don't doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. And I love that. Don't doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. What did you hear before you got in the boat and you went in the lake? What did you hear before the storms? Maybe it was to your family. Maybe there was a, a, a time for your family to have some more devotional time together. And, you know, we, we just got to gotta center ourselves more in, more in Jesus, more in the Scriptures. And then your schedules just went absolutely chaotic and insane. And, and it just seemed like there was never any more time. Don't doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. Maybe the Lord sent you to a particular workplace and it's real tough and you don't like the people there. But, but you know that when He gave you that job, He gave it to you because you were sent there to be a witness. Don't doubt what you heard in the, in the, in the light. Don't doubt in the dark. Where did God call you to? Maybe it was a particular family member that you've been praying for, that you've been weeping over, that you've been thinking this is just going nowhere. Don't doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. Don't doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. Because Jesus isn't asleep, not because he's passive, but because he's got this and he's got you. And so we see the disciples, they're terrified and it's a different kind of fear. We, we see that this isn't the kind of, of despair and desperation that we saw earlier when, when they're, hey, Jesus, are, are you going to wake up? Are you going to do something? It's not that kind of fear anymore. Now it's, a, it's an awe. Uh, other translations say that who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Because they know historically that only God dealt with the storms. They, they, dealt, they, they knew throughout their spiritual history that only God could have controlled the waves and the wind. They've been given, in the midst of their storm, a, a fresh revelation of goodness and the greatness of God that He rescues lives, that He transforms lives, that He was with them in the storm, that He can rebuke the storm, and He can meet them right where they're at. Who is this Jesus? Before they said teacher, now they're not even sure what to call him because he's bigger than their minds could even fathom. He's more than a friend. He's more than just some guy with good advice. He's more than just a miracle worker. He is God. That's the revelation that was, a, that was made apparent to them in that boat on that lake was that the man that was sleeping on the pillow, the man that told them that we're going to the other side of the lake was God. Maybe... Maybe that's the revelation that you need this morning. That whatever storm that you're going through, whatever trial it is, whatever issue it is that you've got, that there's someone who's leading you through that. And He's God. And so you don't have to worry about the storm. Look, nobody enjoys the storms. The disciples didn't enjoy the storm. They didn't ask for it. They certainly didn't enjoy it. They didn't even feel close to Jesus in the storm. It challenged them to the very core of who they were. But after Jesus stilled it, they came out of that storm with a fresh understanding of God and a greater confidence. And we're going to see where that leads. It, it, we'll see incredible things take place. We will see what happens when they reach this new territory, when they get into this fresh place, that was this new frontier that was so fiercely guarded. We, we will see what happens when, when the kingdom of God is on the move. We'll see how Jesus continues to push back evil, setting captives free. We will see how he heals people from the inside out. Because that's what happened, right? 
When you read the rest of the book of Mark, and as we're going to go through it, we're going to see all of that stuff. And I'm just telling you, if you'll let God lead you through the whatever storm is going on in your life, you will see the same things happen in your life. So let me ask this as we wrap up. How do we respond to the storm on our lake? How do we respond to the storms on our lake, the storms of, of our battles, our, our frontiers guarded by, by darkness of confusion, difficulty, maybe even evil resistance? I don't think these words are an invitation to be passive in the storms of life. Jesus wasn't past, passive, but he was peaceful, and he did intervene. It might be that we need to ask God to help steal some of our personal storms. It may be that we wrestle, and if we're honest, that we've lost confidence in Jesus. We, we've lost confidence that, that, he, that He's good and that He's great, that He is who He said He was. We've lost confidence that He's willing and that He's able. But here's the thing about Jesus is that He knows that and He gets it. And He still meets us. Maybe we're like that guy who said, I too believe, but I just can't help my unbelief. I'm kind of wrestling w- with you. God is, God is really secure about this as well, though, and that's the great thing, that this is a relationship. He knows that there are mountaintops and there are valleys, right? There are storms that may be personal, but there are storms in our culture, and there are storms in our church. And it, it's great to see that when people of God get together and they pray, and we get into some of the things that are happening in the world around us, that, that we're able just to come together and fight through those storms together because we know that there's someone greater fighting on our side. If I thought about this before right now, I would have asked Brittany and the team to, to sing uh, God of Angel Armies. Because in that song, there's a line about, um, I know who goes before me, and I know who stands behind me, and he's greater, right? See, that, that's the whole reason we can do any of these things. That's the whole reason we can face any of the challenges and the trials and the tribulations that we go through is because we know who stands before us and we know who's behind us and we know that He is God and He is good and He has our best in heart. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Because honestly, looking at you, I'm not certain that some of you believe that. I'm not certain that we all believe that, that God is good, that, that he, he wants what's best for us, that He wants to lead us through the storm, that, because on the other side of the storm is something better. What would have happened if Jesus and the disciples had stayed on the other side of the lake? If they'd never gotten in the boat and gone to the other side? What would have happened? Would Christianity have been just reduced to another form of Judaism that was centered right there, Right there in that one region, in that one area? Would there have ever been this explosion of the church that, that we know about? What would have happened if Jesus had just stood in one spot? That's a scary thought. But you know, same thing for us. What would happen if we never ventured into new ground, into new territory? What if we never pushed past our comfort zone if we never just if we never took a step in faith if we just stood right where we're at you know what would happen nothing nothing we would die in our faith we would die in our lack of faith and that's an even scarier thought look you've heard me say this before and i'm going to close with this you've heard me say this before that this church wasn't built for those who are here It wasn't. This church was built for those who aren't here yet. That's why every church was built. And so we've got to decide 
I'm going to say right now. We've got to decide right now if we're going to be on mission. If we're going to go through whatever storms present themselves and, and fight our way through those storms. And we're going to be on mission to lead people to love and follow Jesus. And if we're not, then let's be honest about it. And let's just say that. And we can do church however we want and whatever way we want. And we can just accept that in a 10, 15 years, there'll be nothing left. Or we can be on mission every day to lead people to love and follow Jesus. And whatever storms come our way, we go through them with a peace that surpasses all understanding because we know who's fighting with us. Not against us, but with us. It's God. And He's good. Let me pray for us.